This is Fair Share, a podcast conversation with Philip Rosedale about digital currency and the future of money. My name is Dan Patterson, and in this episode, Philip explains the concept of Fair Share and its origins, the flaws in crypto and other forms of digital money, and why Fair Share is necessary in today's economic environment. Let's get into it. Let's give it a try. Philip, you have been interested in and exploring not just digital currencies, but digital economies for two decades. Uh, And now you have a, a new idea that is kind of tied, tethered to... Uh, some of your your initial ideas, um, like Linden dollars, called fair share. Um, we've heard all sorts of hype and hyperbole about cryptocurrencies and WorldCoin and all sorts of uh, new ways to exchange money. Uh, fair share is almost entirely different. Can you explain a little bit about the concept of fair share and its origins? Well, I guess that from the origin story does have a lot to do with Second Life. And, you know, the reason for that was that with Second Life, for those who don't know, we created a digital currency. So very much like crypto or in some ways like crypto, we, we had to make a currency to let people in Second Life trade things. And the important uh, like one of the important differences that led to all the thinking that I've done about this is that in the case of Second Life, we weren't trying to make a type of currency that, you know, if you got in early and you held it, it would become more valuable. And in fact, interestingly enough, it was vital that that not happen because what instead we wanted to do was to provide a way for, imagine it's 2004, right? And you've got people all over the world logging into this service, Second Life. None of them are from the same countries. People came into Second Life and still do like pretty much just as distributed as the internet is overall, right? So the probability that any two people walking up to each other as avatars were in the same country was very low. So we, from the very beginning, though, recognized that people were going to make things like clothes for their avatar or furniture or motorcycles or whatever, and that at least some of the time, they're going to want to sell that stuff to each other, you know, maybe and make a living, right, someday. And so what we had to do, see was we had to make a currency that people could use to optimally trade things with each other. And that's like, yeah, exactly. And that's such an important part of the story because unlike say Bitcoin, and this was six, six, seven years before, we didn't want it to become more valuable because the way it works, and of course this is the comedy of crypto sometimes is that people literally don't even crack the first book about this is that you know you can have one of two things you can have an asset that's increasing in value like real estate your house or something or you can have a kind of token that you use to buy groceries but you can't have both in one and the reason for that may not be obvious to people it's just it like if you had to take some money out of your house and use it to buy groceries But your alternative was that if you left that little chunk of your house there, it would become twice as valuable in, say, 10 years or something like, you know, many periods American real estate has done. Uh, You're going to choose to leave the money in the house, if you will, and starve, right? You're not going to buy groceries because you're going to feel like such a fool for giving that money away. So from the very beginning, we had to, like, learn some economics. And, you know, this this was a new thing for me. 
and we had to figure out like, okay, how does it, how does it work when you just want to enable people to trade? And then, you know, here I start to use the words of the new idea, uh, fairly enable people to trade. In other words, how do you build a token so that a whole bunch of people in a virtual world would say, you know, this feels fine. I'm able to make my glasses in Second Life and sell them to somebody else. And just like with dollars or something, I just don't really worry about it. You know, most of the value seems to be in the glasses that I'm making and, you know, it's pretty stable. So we had to do that. This might sound common in the, the age of microtransactions inside of video games, but at the time this was truly novel and, and innovation that I, I can imagine that you had to learn all sorts of uh, intricacies about how economic systems work and then insert them into this virtual environment. So you probably right. also had to avoid a lot of the common pitfalls. What are some of the main flaws in our current or at least traditional uh, economic systems and digital currency systems that you tried to avoid and right. are currently trying to avoid with fair share? Well, let's go back to that basic challenge, which is to let people trade things that they've made. Uh, I mean, basically, you know, in Second Life especially, that's basically it. People are trading things, um, I think in Second Life, more, more things than services, but they're all things that have kind of come out of people's skills. So if you think about it, right, when you're enabling people to trade things with each other, say, imagine in a community in a small town or something, the value of that trading currency actually is derived from the value of the things people do. So, you know, if I, if I, if I get up every morning and I, you know, make cups of coffee for people, if I'm able to make 100 cups of coffee, that's more, I, I'm, I'm adding more value to my community, so to speak, than if I'm only able to make 10 cups of yeah. coffee. So the first thing that should be obvious there, and, and this is what you know, we learned as we got into this, is that the value of a trading currency that's fair is driven, the value of that currency is basically driven by the collective stuff that everybody is making with it and star, star, you know, Second Life, where they're sort of stuck in an environment where they need a way to trade it with each other. You know, the, the thing with Second Life was that we were, people were creating all this new value, which was like digital goods and stuff that basically kind of hadn't existed in the universe before. So there's like suddenly all this new stuff and the Linden dollar was the token that they could use to trade this stuff. But the, the, the difference between a fair currency for trading and both crypto and money as we know it today, I mean, you know, dollars, for example, or, you know, any, any, you know, any national currency. The difference is that crypto and dollars are not printed and given out in a way that uh, matches the interesting things people are needing to trade with them. Instead, in the case of, by the way, both crypto and dollars, a certain uh, amount of them is printed and then generally kind of given out from a few people to a whole lot of other people. And, and of course, when this is done wrong or when there's abuse involved in that, you get a, you get a terrible outcome. But the really important thing about fair share, and, and this is what I always call kind of like the, the red pill, you know, there's a red pill with money and I got to tell you, I got to give you the red pill and, and tell you what is going to 
what you're going to realize. And that is that even if everybody starts off with exactly the same amount of tokens, if, if we had gone into Second Life, for example, and said, everybody gets a thousand tokens up front, everybody has a thousand tokens. The red pill moment is most we have been trained, especially in the Western world, to believe that if you gave everybody an equal and exactly equal amount of money, and if they were all worked equally hard, if they all tried equally hard and had equal skills, equal intelligence, whatever, you'd expect that over time, everybody would stay at around $1,000 that if you gave everybody $1,000 to start and they just swapped goods and services back and forth with each other, as happens in Second Life, you'd think that if you came back a couple of years later, everybody would have about $1,000. That is, the world would still be more or less equally fair because, of course, we're taught, and again, we're taught this the most in the West, capitalism and free markets are the perfect, perfect way of distributing value to people, right? And the red pill moment is... It would be so nice if it were true, but it isn't. And it's very easy as an economic experiment to demonstrate that it's not a lot of people do it all the time. It's kind of a well-known thing um, in, in economics. It's becoming studied a little more, I think, as we thrash around collectively with things like COVID and you know, monetary policy and you know, how things should work. But the basic idea is that when you give identical little people on a computer, and of course we've done this experiment, you know, identical people whose skills are all exactly the same. If you start them off with $1,000 and you wait a few, you know, years in real human time, say, in, in transactions, one person has all the money, just like it was a poker game. So slowly, a small group of randomly chosen, randomly chosen people become richer and richer until they have all the money in the system. And most people growing up in the West would say, no, 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 that's just, there must be a bug, uh, somebody's a crook, uh, you know, there's a loophole, uh, you know, the bank's printing money and giving it to their friends. But the, f the fact is, if you just start with exactly the same amount of money and you let people, you let people engage in trade, it, it becomes highly unfair. In fact, the simple way to put it is that free markets amplify inequality. And I, I just can't say that enough. Free markets amplify inequality. What that means is that the basic mechanism of even good-hearted people going to a town square and trading their things with each other, as we imagine, you know, happened in, say, medieval times. What happens is, even if those people are identical and mean well, a small group of people and then eventually even just one person, you know, ends up with all the money. And that is exactly the way both crypto and to a large extent many government printed currencies work. They, they distribute the money kind of unequally and upfront and then they let the machine of the free market roll. And what happens is that machine amplifies inequality. And where we are right now, for example in the United States, is we've given the machine a long time to amplify inequality and it has amplified it a lot. And we're at a situation now where it doesn't look sustainable. Yeah, and of course there are all sorts of uh, external factors and variables that also play into that. And it, you know, I, I guess I should note 
when you say red pill, you're, you don't mean the like political far right version of red pill. You mean uh, like I, I'm sorry. I mean Neo. The, yeah. <laughs> You mean, exactly. I mean Morpheus and Neo, the red exactly. pill and the blue pill. The, the cool version of yeah. red pill. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I guess that brings us to kind of the, the really basic question. What is fair share and how does it address economic inequality? So if you sat down with a bunch of friends with this problem in front of you and you said, hey, we all want to live on a desert island together and trade things with each other, but we don't want it to become unfair. And somebody like me said, hey, you know, here's the simulation that shows that even if we're all identical, it becomes unfair, right? So if you all sit down and you said, if we sat down together as smart people and, you know, a few of us were software engineers, the question is, we were kind of on a desert island, what kind of system would we build? And I would say that fair share uh, might be the simplest one we'd find. I don't know, maybe I'm not smart enough. It, it, it may be that there's an even simpler mechanism, but I, I suspect there's not. So it's kind of the simplest mechanism that keeps things fair. And, and, and let me say, you know, how that works. The, the first thing is, is that to keep things fair, you actually have to sometimes print and sometimes uh, destroy the amount of money. As I said earlier, the trick is that with a group of people that are trying to use a currency solely to help each other by sharing things, to trade with each other, the currency that is the amount of currency in circulation actually needs to vary over time. For example, if people became a lot uh, more productive, you know, if they if they if you want we wandered off onto some part of our imaginary island and we found a power tool with with batteries and solar cells or something, and we're like, this is fantastic. We can build houses. The person who's building houses on our imaginary island can build them a lot faster now. In a sense, what has to happen if you think about it and, and work on the economics of it is you have to print a bit more money and kind of give it out to some combination of that person and everybody else so that the value of, for example, of your currency remains stable. And as I touched on earlier, if the value of your currency goes up over time, such as has been the case with, with crypto and for that matter, sometimes even national currencies, the, um, the experience is horribly uh, bad for the people that are there because they start hoarding the currency, which further increases its value, which further decreases its utility as a trade currency, and it just goes on in a spiral. So what does fair share do? Fair share does uh, two things. One is it does, it enables a group of people to adjust that monetary policy themselves. And in the cases where new money needs to be distributed, it distributes it equally to everybody. And then the other thing, which we can go into kind of how it works, is it also recirculates money. You can think of money as being, um, and I think we're going to think about this in the future, we're going to look back on the way money worked today, and we're going to say that was pretty primitive and barbaric, that was unfortunate, um, but we moved past that. And the way that we will have moved past it is that money has to have a mechanism that recirculates it so that money is kind of circular. It's like the, it's like the, uh, the, the water system that we learned about as kids, right? In, in science, you know, the, the water is constantly coming back to the earth and then raising up into the clouds and then raining back down on the earth to keep this inequality, this amplifying inequality problem from happening. What you have to do is recirculate money, and when you recirculate it, you basically kind of have to give it to everybody the same way rain falls on everybody. So you have to recirculate the money. So Fair Share has a way for people to form groups. And you mentioned WorldCoin earlier. I hope we get a chance to come back to that because the forming of groups is related to what WorldCoin is doing in a, in my opinion, uh, hilariously uh, 
uh, bad uh, way. But, but the core idea is you need to have some way to give out the money that you're reigning equally to everybody. And so that, that gets into this question of, you know, identity and online identity and government identity. So fair and share. Decentralization. Yeah. Right, right. And I guess, you know, we could touch on decentralization. I, I think that's over-indexed on, you know, like the rabid kind of crypto utopian the maximalist. Taoist. Yeah, perspective yeah. has been everything can be solved through decentralization. That's total nonsense. Um, full decentralization of a currency or, or, by the way, social media or anything else, full decentralization of something like that, of a medium, a currency, is just as bad as full centralization. You know, at one extreme, you have the authoritarian regime, and at the other extreme, you have random damage to trust in society done by people taking advantage of extreme decentralization. So this would be like people scamming each other with cryptocurrency right now, right? I mean, we're yeah, all so sad, right? Prone to exploitation. <laughs> yeah. So if you've got full decentralization, you get what's happening with crypto, where everyone's scamming everybody else. And for many people, there is just no shelter from that storm. And so they're just going to check out. And I think one of the things with crypto is most people wisely are simply not using it because they recognize that, you know, they're not going to use something where the risk of harm to their to their assets is just so profound and, you know, changing every day. And of course, that doesn't even count the bad people. I'm talking about literally the way the crypto system works, which is essentially to reward people scamming and harming each other, um, unfortunately. So the, uh, you, know, uh, uh, you, know, you know, crypto stands out as this, uh, you know, example of what not to do. But in the case of uh, fair share, uh, the, there are these set of techniques that you have to do. You have to uh, recirculate money, uh, which crypto and regular money don't do. And when you recirculate it, you have to give it back to everybody equally. Um, so I, I think I understand how the decentralization of fair share works. I, I still... I'm still a little confused about the purpose. Is this like a UBI? It is, uh, it is a UBI. So a side effect. So the thing that keeps things fair, and, and, and by the way, l let me speak to what fair is because I think yeah, that's an interesting let's question, let's define right? what fair right. is, it, it, yeah. Yeah, let's not be you know, vacuous about this because we could say good, you know, it's like in tech right now, mm, what is good, sure, right? Yeah. Well, that, that needs a lot of definition, right? So what I, how I define fair, let me define it two ways, one from looking from the outside in and another one as one of the participants. So if we had our desert island full of our friends trading with each other, right? There's a question that could be asked from the outside, which is hit pause on the simulation, freeze everybody, and let's take a look at that person, Dan, and this person, Philip, over here, and, and how much wealth they have. And then let's look at other things we know about them. Uh, you know, Dan has worked in journalism. Philip is a software engineer, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we should be able to ask the question, you know, from the alien point of view, is the wealth that they have fair relative to their contribution to society, right? So the first thing is, would an outside observer with some subset of data look at the distribution of money and the distribution of skill or contribution, right? And say, yep, that seems about right. And of course, we all, yeah, no, you know, we all smile when we hear that these days, right? Because I think we all feel that, you know, is, is Elon Musk more valuable than the typical software engineer or entrepreneur? Yeah, but then you could ask the question, is he uh, a, a billion times more valuable, right? Is, is Taylor Swift 
by a factor of 100,000 the best musician that's ever lived on earth, right? Mm. I don't think so. So the, 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 the simple fact that you have viewed from the outside in what seems to be a radical discrepancy between contribution and wealth is one way of saying that's not fair. So that's not fair. The second way, though, is to ask the participants democratically whether they would want to hit the reset button. And I've often looked at that as a really interesting thought experiment, right? Like if you put a button in front of everybody in the United States right now, and you said, you've got 60 seconds to make a decision. If you hit the button, uh, we're going to instantly remove all the wealth from everybody in the country and then redistribute it equally to everybody else. So if you hit the reset button, you're voting to collect all the money again, put it in a pot, and then give it out to everybody equally. If you don't hit the button, you're good with things the way they are, right? And again, the question I would ask of... of any group of people, but certainly we could ask, you know, what would happen in the United States is uh, how many people would hit that button, right? And if basically, right, if more, if significantly more than half of the people would hit the button, we have a system that's unfair, that's, that's democratically unfair. And I think that would be the second test that we could use. And, and in fact, I love the idea, by the way, as an aside, you know, fair share doesn't have this built in, but could have it built on top of it. I love the idea of a currency in which there would be some annual moment <laughs> where we would all get to ask, ask and answer that question, you know, with, with the, with not, not as a Twitter survey, you know, knowing that if you hit that button, you know, that's potentially what's going to happen. We do, we do have elections every couple of years, but, uh, we don't yeah. get to vote on our economic system. I, I will say, um, between Taylor Swift and Elon Musk, one of those two actors brings joy to people. Joy might not be a currency, but it's pretty valuable. <laughs> you know, I think you're there. You, yeah, there we wander into the philosophy of, of yes, good, exactly. right? Which is an equally yeah, meaningful that's exactly conversation. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So the last question for you, and I think you touched on this already, and we will explore um, answers to this in additional episodes, but as succinctly as you can, what makes fair share necessary today, mm. right now? That is a great question. So I mentioned before that fair share is responsive to this problem of inequality increasing in free markets, that free markets amplify inequality. Now, by the way, we should not throw the free market baby out with the bathwater. Free markets are optimal in a lot of ways. Of course they are but they need to be paired. So you don't want to not have a free market. That would be, uh, you know, that would be somewhere along the line from, you know, some point in socialism to kick communism, depending on how you articulate what those things are. And, you know, different people fight in different ways about them. But if you take the free markets away, you get an inefficient distribution that becomes profound, you know, and problematic. And you've, you fall behind everybody else as people will jump up and say, the trick with fair share and what, what needs to happen next is you need to allow there to be free markets, but then you need a simple, ideally a very uh, distributed mechanism for um, 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 moving around uh, currency once it's used, recirculating it, basically, as I said before. And, and by the way, what we didn't touch on, and we'll touch on more, I'm sure, later, fundamentally, fair share has a mechanism that can be decentralized, which is very important, uh, that, that basically takes a little bit of money out of every transaction and distributes it back to everybody else as this basic income. And by the way, that means that the basic income isn't, doesn't have to be funded. This isn't a system like the experiments that we've seen with basic income, where 
in many cases, you know, there's just a pool of money coming from the government or something like that. The magic of fair share is that it generates its own basic income by a fee that applies to every transaction you do that kind of goes back in everybody's pockets. And to your earlier point, it can do this in a decentralized way. And I didn't answer that earlier question, which is centralization is dangerous because anytime, understandably, right, anytime in any process, whether it's, by the way, whether it's social media, currency, uh, you know, printing books, whatever, anytime you have an intermediary that gets in a position of control where they could maybe in a self-interested way manipulate the middle of the system right you have a dangerous problem uh with exploitation and i would say you know if social media is like the cocaine of our time right you know it is it is so very tempting if you work at twitter to manipulate the flow of information right or not or whatever if 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 social media is cocaine monetary systems are heroin you know once you manipulate a monetary system as a central player right to extract a little bit of self-interested money for yourself, you are never gonna stop doing that. You are gonna do that until you die. And so I think that that is the danger of centralization. So what Fairshare does is it provides a mechanism that in good moments, countries actually do successfully do, often at least for a little while, which is um, take a little bit of money from everything that's happening and give it back to everybody equally. The unique thing about Fairshare is it has a way of doing that that is like crypto, completely decentralized. We don't have to trust anybody to do that. Not one central person. Thanks for listening to Fair Share, a podcast conversation about the future of digital currency. To learn more about the project and join the Discord, visit fairshare.social, and you can listen to more episodes of this podcast at fairshare.substack.com.